and welcome to Drag Time with Heclina. This is episode 24. Um, well, uh, I am coming to you from Palm Springs. I, uh, I finally did the thing and I'm, I'm here full time. I'm here at my house unpacking. It feels really surreal to have moved out of my apartment in, in San Francisco. That, that, that was the longest place I've ever lived in my life for 15 years. But anyway, here unpacking and I packed, I unpacked my microphone. I'm here with Mark and our special guest. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I know I already miss San Francisco. I really do. Um, but I'll be back as soon as, you know, Miss Rona goes away. I, I know I've been saying that a lot. Um, well, I, I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest. Uh, and I'm going to ask him what his drag name was at Tranny Shack. Back in the day. Because for the, for the life of me, I was, I was trying to remember, but I could not remember it. Anyway, um, you may know of him. Perhaps you enjoyed merriment with him at a parade in New Orleans or found yourself walking past him on a path in the pines or a march in San Francisco. He's a resident of the entire queer world, really. And sort of a, res- a renaissance man, an artist and a filmmaker, and some would say, a philosopher. Um, oh. <laughs> but first, uh, but first, before we did dive into it with our guest, I want to thank you for supporting us. If you really love us, rate us on Apple Podcast. Check out our website, dragtimewithheclina.com. That's where you can find more info about how to support the show, including links to send us a tip. Hey, Mark, I'm just wondering, uh, how many tips have you gotten uh, recently? Um, maybe like two recently. Two the, tips. Yeah, two tips. Okay. And, you know, all the tips help because we don't have, you know, extreme costs, but you know, it does cost things to have things. So. You cheap motherfuckers. Yeah. We, we've, had a lot of, we've had a lot of tips over time. Over the 24 episodes, we've had a lot of individuals give us small tips and uh, re- recurring tips. And the recurring tips are really helpful because you know, okay. it comes every month. So. All right. Okay. Well, now that's all that's out of the way. Now to introduce somebody very special, please welcome Leo Herrera. Hi, honey. Uh, hi. Okay, what was your drag name? You know, what's so funny about that is that you've never called me by my name. You always call me by my drag name. And I now used you to can't do remember. I used to. It was what Calamity was it? Jones. Calamity. Okay. I <laughs> Calamity. It was always I Calamity. And even after I stopped doing drag, and I would be like with like trade or something, and be like, oh, let's go say hi to Heclina, you know, to be all important. And then I'd go mm. up and be like, hi, Heclina. go, hi, Calamity. And then the trade would always be like, who's Calamity? You know what? I, I used to embarrass people with it when, when, when they'd be with trade. I'd be like, yeah. hi, hi, precious. Oh, that wig, uh, that wig you lent me. Uh, I, I can get it back to you tomorrow. Uh, totally. You know? <laughs> so, Mark, you know what? We were waiting for you to come on, and Mark was telling me. You've been digitizing video from Tranny Shack back in the day. I didn't know that. I do have all this archive. You know, I was the only one that would have a video camera out sometimes. So I didn't even realize I had so much stuff because I forgot that Queens would ask me to come film their numbers. So I got in the habit of filming the whole night. So now the thing is, I can't just, I mean, Hecklina, you know what happened at Tranny Shack and the stuff that we said and did there. So I've been trying to figure out how to get everything sort of archived well so that, you know, it respects people's privacy. And, you know, there was such a level of freedom on that stage and we were able to do stuff that I think wouldn't be exactly, uh, it would be out of context now. 
Let's, yes. put, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you know, I, I think about some of those great nights, but they were. It was like Tokyo Tea, where all these uh, people were dressed up in uh, as geishas mm-hmm. and, and Asian Asian people, which was fine then. But now, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of definitely like definitely different. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, it's it is like looking at a different time. But uh, yeah, so uh, I would love to look at it, and of course, some of the stuff that is okay to look at. Oh, for sure. Or, or, I mean, or, or or share. You so know. I'm I'm putting together what I'm calling the Father's Archive for now, which is this collection of uh, a lot of the stuff that I shot from my film Fathers, which was three years of mm-hmm. um, you know events across the country. But I also have this treasure trove of videotapes from mm-hmm. 2004. Oh, wow. I mean, I have I, we one of my ex boyfriends filmed the entire tranny shack reno like he let the camera run for like an hour so it's us at mcdonald's getting the hotel so there's all of these damn yeah yeah and you know i I was having i was talking with phonique uh we got together recently and she was like yeah i I have all this i've been watching all these videos my husband's been uploading and i've been watching it going there's something no one can ever see. There's something nobody can ever see. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, myself included. So I was like, you know, once you digitize the stuff and it gets yeah. on that uh, that Apple uh, photos uh, and it's all over yeah. the devices and stuff, I was like, I don't know if yeah, I want us exactly. all canceled at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully people realize like, well, whatever. Let's, I'm not even going to go into the canceling of thing. Course. Anyway, so you're in San Francisco. Uh, Mark wrote this down. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know you're making food all day and night what's that about yeah well i mean i am in san francisco the temperature definitely feels different without you here Mm -hmm. i'm sorry to see you go um (laughs) yeah i mean i lived in new york for seven years and came back four and a half years ago and uh Mm -hmm. you know i'm uh, lucky to be in an apartment by myself through this whole thing and uh one of the things that i started doing like everybody else was was food Mm -hmm. you know i cook all day long um wow it's just one of the things I like to do. So I started. Me too. You do? Yeah. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite thing to cook? Well, I like comfort food, I, but I also make I, I make lots of like cakes and and pies I and can't stuff like that. Bake to save my life. I can make you like an awesome mm. beef stew or like you know braised chicken. Yep. But as soon as there's Ooh. an oven involved, it's just uh-huh. a disaster. Uh, you're making beautiful Instagram stories. I have been. I've been really concentrating on the Instagram stuff. And, you know, with all the um, all of the, you know, the politics and the racial reckoning and COVID and, you know, mm-hmm. HIV history, which is all the stuff that I do. I've been sort of uh, putting a lot of my thoughts into my Instagram account and these mm-hmm. really short micro sort of essays on how COVID has all of these overlaps with our history of HIV. You know. Well, yeah, you know, I, I definitely have. I definitely um see the parallels first mm-hmm. of all we had the worst possible president when AIDS came along yeah and now we have the worst possible president when For COVID anything. comes along yeah yeah well of course but I mean as far as dealing mm-hmm. with you know like they, they've both politicized one politicized a virus and this other one well they both politicized, they both politicized it yeah yeah um mark no longer watches television he tells me he just watches your insta stories <laughs> um uh you're a master of the moving image and the led light uh but you know you're, you're a bit of a philosopher back in march you began speaking directly to people on your account through micro essays using text to talk first about the pandemic and the fear and danger and longing one must navigate around random hookups so there's another parallel so uh i mean back in the day when we were 
we you know people had to yeah. have sex back in the day we just learned to use condoms yeah uh which definitely seems a different <laughs> different time Did now we know? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I remember. I, yeah, I, 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 I remember. You know uh, that I was shocked the first time somebody wanted to have sex without a condom back in the day, and now it's you know it, it's a different time. It goes uh, full now. circle. I mean, and, and that's also what I've been ta- sort of talking about because people are like, you know, people will be so confused as to like why can't people wear masks? Why can't they just do this thing they need to do? And then you realize mm. like, well you know, we took a long time to adjust to condom use, to adjust to harm reduction. Like people did not believe in HIV for a really long time. So there's a lot of parallels with COVID and the way that just humans react to a pandemic. Yeah. I think people, yeah, people go through the stages first of denial, you know, it's a a national grief, you know, it's, it's a national grieving period. So I think that's once you start, I mean, I'm 40 now, I met you when Mm -hmm. I was 22 so mm-hmm. it's like within that span, you realize like, oh, shit, everything is so cyclical. And so you have to educate younger generation and be like, you know, if this is so confused. It's such a confusing time. It's such a scary time. But we literally did this already. And uh, Well, I, I mean, also, to be frank, it was much deadlier. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and um, it was much, much more of a. Like my friends were dying all around me. Yeah. I have not lost. I, I I've not lost one friend to COVID. Knock on except, wood. A, a, except maybe I I lost you know a Mona foot in in New York City. Yeah, I was going to say, but, but but we were not that close. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I mean, literally, uh, AIDS was woven into my everyday life. Yeah. Uh, in San Francisco, and so. Um, Yes, I've I've been through this. I've been through the fear. That's why I just don't. I'm I'm not that freaked out about it, you know. Um, but I totally get. I mean, it also depends on what you know. If if you're a, a Latino family, you're going to be as freaked out about this as you might have been in the '80s. You know what I mean? So it depends on your class, your race, the, all of those kinds of things. And the thing about HIV and COVID that's interesting to me is that. HIV was actually really difficult to catch once we figured out what we had to do, whereas COVID is different. So it's there's overlaps, but there's 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 not sure. If I mean, oh yeah, if if I was a Latina, if I was a Latina family, I would be freaked out. But I'm saying I'm not Mm -hmm. because I've been through this already. Exactly, I've 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 been through a plague, uh, the the plague years, where um, and you know the same. The same effect that that mm. COVID is having on nightlife mm-hmm. right now, it, it had it had that same effect yeah. on gay nightlife back then. Yeah. People weren't going out, people weren't fucking, people weren't were afraid to touch each other. I mean, so it's kind of the same, totally. And I mean, the the level of loss that we're seeing with our spaces right now, you know, obviously yeah. of all people, you know that. So mm-hmm. it's so similar. So in a lot of ways, you do have to remind a younger generation why maybe people that are a little older than them might might understand the echoes and help sort of it helps you navigate so like last you know the last today i wrote something about how um you know you're going to be weird after this and you're going to your body's going to change and the way that you navigate your body around the world's going to change and you will figure mm-hmm. out how to do it it's just going right. to take you a while right right and so that's the kind and, of message yeah. that i'm trying to put into into my you know these accounts and e- social media Right. Yeah, it's um it's really I think it's really interesting what you're doing because it's a lot of people do not a lot of people and you know, 
when I was young, I, I thought I was the first person to ever do anything. And I, and I know mm-hmm. young people come, young people come along and they, they don't want to remember history. And yeah. I, I remember when I, like, when I started working at the stud bar and there were people from the seventies mm-hmm. still there, I was like, I was like, I was like, get out of the way, grandpa. Like, yeah. I don't want to hear these, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think kids uh, nowadays are very lucky that they didn't see their friends turn into skeletons yeah. and they didn't do all that. So they don't have that stigma around sex. But anyway, um, Mark has written a lot of, of, uh, of notes here for me. And Mark, okay. you're, you're, you're very passionate about some of this stuff. Do you want to talk about this? Like, first of all, there's some, uh, some stuff in my script about, about how you have been, uh, talking about drug use in our community, I have a long history of, yeah. of, of using, you know, crystal meth and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing any drugs now, yeah. but um, but Mark has made lots of notes. I mean, what what is your uh, I, what is your take on drug use right these days in the community? Well, I think one of the things that is interesting when we're talking about pandemics is that you know I didn't live through a time with HIV where we didn't have retrovirals. So I remember you talking mm-hmm. about 1996 being the the year that people stopped dying, and I think it was yes. in that Tranny Shack documentary. Um, yes, but I lived through sort of what I call the, the radioactive part of after that. So a lot of people resorted to crystal meth and to binging and drug use and alcoholism, um, to sort of recover from that pandemic. And I'm seeing that sort of resurgence lately with COVID and, you know, even just anecdotally, how many people are, are having to deal with crystal meth in their lives again? has been really interesting or, or how many of us, you know, locked ourselves in for four months and became total raging alcoholics and how many of us have had to, you know, really sort of control that. So there's these, there's these things that we call sort of like shadow pandemics that happen after a pandemic, which is how people react to it and, and the anxiety and, and deaths of desperation and things like that. So it's something that yeah. we're going to have to talk about again. And here we are. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely uh, not something I have. I, I'm in recovery. I yeah. have a program. I have not. I couldn't think of, of anything worse than being in my tiny apartment in San Francisco, strung out on meth. You know what I mean? But I totally get it because the the main underlying thing with drug use, alcohol use, any kind of yeah. acting out is you don't want to feel what's going on. And people are really freaked out right now, yeah. not just by, not just by a pandemic, but they're freaked out about the state of the world. I don't need to tell you, you know, you know exactly what the world is like, right? Who wants to feel, who wants to feel or think about any of the shit that's going on? So, um, you know, we, we just, I, th- I think we have to look for the healthy uh, things to help, uh, cope like cooking or you know well, all I that mean, stuff for me it's yeah and it's, it's, yeah it's, and it's 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 very corny to say it but um we, we have to come up with healthy alternatives well it's to not this. sustainable too i've had to put myself on like a really tight train tracks when mm-hmm. when it comes to drinking and self-medicating because it was really cute to be like oh my god wine o'clock you know the first month and a half or two months or three months of this shutdown but after a certain point i realized like oh i i can't be hungover all the time or I can't, you know, I really have to watch what I'm, how I'm self-medicating because this could get out of hand. And I've, I've, I've struggled with alcohol use and I've, you know, you've met, I, I think the year we met, I had just one best drunk at the Tranny Shack Reno trip. 
<laughs> it's not like she doesn't know how to have a good time. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I, I saw all those posts at the very beginning of the uh, pandemic. People yeah. were like, hey, hey, it's it's noon. Yeah. Um, let's let's start drinking. But yes, of course, like any like any kind of using using anything, food or whatever, there has to come a day of reckoning where you're For like, sure. okay, that's, that's enough of this. Um, okay, you said in one of your posts, this is, you know, let's go back to the, yeah. the HIV thing for a second. Uh, when we call COVID-19 the worst pandemic of the last hundred years, we erase, you know, I, I, you, you know your quote. Yeah. Basically, you're erasing all of the people who, die, who died of AIDS, who have AIDS, living with mm-hmm. HIV. Um, which, by the way, is my most popular social media post ever, which is really interesting. Yeah. It, it's and it's like our nation has never really mourned all the people and you know so I, I feel like the gay community has never mourned like I've I've never I, I went through all those years of loss yeah. and I, I I was so numb to it yeah. and then it, and then and then it stopped and I I've never really been able to mourn all those people who died yeah I've never mourned like my I've never mourned kind of the loss of my youth or mm-hmm. all that stuff so so I, I think it's really great that you are kind of keeping people making people helping to keep people aware of it you're you're not the only person doing it but i, I love how passionate you are uh, about um about all these issues you know like you know this this whole generation of men who are wiped out i call it the judy garland generation Absolutely. you know <laughs> because every yeah, generation of every judy. every generation of gay men they have their icon mm-hmm. and um and and i think this was the you know Kind of the I mean, Judy, it, um, you know, all that stuff. I'm obsessed with that generation because they helped me so much when I was a baby gay. And they, you know, I, I was so obsessed with gay history before I moved to San Francisco when I was in my teens. And then you arrive here and you realize like, oh, shit, this isn't 1970s gay. This is a city that's experienced a level of incredible loss. And, right. and then you sort of... I was never one of those people that was like, get out of the way, grandpa, because to me, it was, I was so sort of enamored with that generation that anytime I could find, and I mean, I'm, all of my friends have seen me do the thing where I zero in on the old guy at the bar and mm-hmm. then I sit then next to him for like an hour and like, you know, right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, by, by saying I'm like, get out of the way, grandpa, oh, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that I, because uh, I definitely knew my history before I moved to San Francisco. What I'm saying was, I thought I was the first one when I did tranny show. Like, I was the first one doing it. Yeah. And then I, but, then, but then I look back and I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. these these people really did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And so one of the things so, that I write about is how we are the last first generation, meaning like mm-hmm. every generation of gay men that came before us was a white slate. Right. You either had Mm -hmm. the closet and and law enforcement in the 60s and 70s, and then you had AIDS and then you had, you know, the aftermath of AIDS. So every generation has had to teach itself or -hmm. teach themselves, uh, and especially now. So now we, we get to be that last sort of first generation where this next generation is incredibly hyper aware of a lot of things that we weren't. And, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, stuff like history, AIDS history, transgender rights, racial rights. So we sort of look at maybe sometimes the younger generation is sort of like they're clueless, but they're actually absorbing a lot of information. And we're not going to have to tell them eventually who certain people are because they're they're educating themselves and things are becoming more acceptable. Yeah, I mean on on the one hand I feel like they're like and this and I don't mean to generalize mm-hmm. but you we're talking about an entire generation. Yeah. I I've, I've noticed a a kind of a 
a not uh, a lack of interest in some of the the touchstones of queer culture in the new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, eh, there's, it's like the information age has never been more information available to people, but we had to find information in a different way. Yeah. But, but what I do, what, what I do, what I do really relate to with, um, with uh, the younger generation is the anger. Yeah. Uh, when I went, when I was that age, I was like, you know, everybody was dying and nobody gave a shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and, and I was like, this is so fucked up. The world is fucked up. And, and these young kids now, the world is really fucked up. So I would be and so, I mean, I'm angry, but I'm old. I can't <laughs> be, I, I, I can't be as, you know, uh, reactionary as I used to be. Exactly. I can't, I, I can't march on Washington. I mean, of course I can, but what I mean is, my anger is my anger channels and and uh, manifests in a different way now. I completely agree with you, and I I'm gonna mm-hmm. be forty, so I can't mm-hmm. be running around in the same right. way. So that's why a lot of the work that I'm doing, a lot of the the writing that I'm doing is is all that anger is sort of being channeled through there because that's sure what I, that's how I'm useful right now. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the father's project. Um, this is your okay. So it's a multi episodic. Would you call it a science fiction drama? Yeah, I would, well, I would call it a science fiction documentary. Okay, you asked the world to imagine a world where AIDS uh, never happened and our heroes lived. Tell me about that. What heroes are you talking about? Are you talking about just specific people or just, you know? Uh, well, Fathers is the five-part web series. It's done. It's out now. You can watch a 45-minute cut of all episodes um, because they're very short. Uh, at my website, if they live.org. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a science fiction documentary that imagines the AIDS pandemic just never existed and nobody died. And mm-hmm. it imagines what Maplethorpe would have been doing and what, you know, uh, Keith, po- Herring. Keith Herring, politics, art, sex, yeah. nightlife. Every episode deals with a, a different theme. And um, episode two, for example, deals with nightlife. Uh, Vito Russo, the very famous AIDS activist, is elected right. president of the United States in 2020. <laughs> oh wow! Um, you got to watch it. Uh, wait, wait, wait! Wasn't Vito Russo also before he became an AIDS uh, he activist? Was, he was on, he was an author with a cellular closet. That's, yeah. That's so that, yes, I mean, okay. he was a huge film buff. So I know that right. he would have gotten a kick out of uh, being cast as the president of the United States. Absolutely. Uh, mm. There's interviews with survivors of the pandemic where I asked them, you know, what would the world look like so there's all this historical research um and in one of the episodes for example the leather community becomes so powerful and large that they become like the evangelicals in election oh my god that's amazing. and so they take this real life leather man who was also a republican he was a lawyer and he was a huge part of San Francisco's leather community who actually defended the bathhouse owners against the closures during the AIDS pandemic. And mm-hmm. in the series, he takes this idea of the leather community being a religion to the Supreme Court. And they are uh, granted immunity in the same way that churches are against their closures and taxes and all of these things. So they become this huge, powerful, <laughs> and all of it is shown by using actual footage of the leather walk in San Francisco or um, the Black Party in New York City. I was allowed all sorts of cool access to these events to film them. 
and then reinterpret that history so that when people watch it, they're looking at something that's actually happened, like, you know, these huge leather events, but they're recontextualized. So this larger history sort of becomes available for people that imagines like what would have happened if we didn't lose so many leather members who were great at organizing. Mm -hmm. They were great at politics, you know? Yeah. I, um, I, I of course moved to uh, San Francisco in 1991 and, and it was, it was a, uh, constant state of mourning that you were in and a constant like the the leather places i went to it was more like every it was all like a like a wake like you know and uh and uh the social thing back then was funerals and memorials and but of course we're talking about two very different um sides of AIDS. We've uh, the United States and the western world has experienced a much different uh side of aids than for instance sub-Saharan Africa yeah. or something, you know, it's very different. Um, there it is really a different demographic, a, a whole different, yeah. you know, and entire villages and stuff. Yeah. So that's, but you, you're not touching on that. No, I had to, I, yeah, because I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of money. So um, okay. I focused it on American queer culture. And so it just sort of it imagines that these queer people that didn't die helped us create these queer colonies and this Stonewall Nation is what it's called, which is actually based on a real plan that people had in the late seventies, which they were going to build a separatist society of just queer people. And it and did, you're imagining you're, you're you're imagining a queer utopia. It's, it's, yeah, so it's a very utopian mm-hmm. vision. And for example, um, there's a scene where popper there's a commercial for rush poppers for women. You know, like, and then there's also another scene where uh, we develop poppers that cure STDs. Oh, wow. And there's a there's a club in the in the film that was and this is two years ago. And there's a there's a club in the film called The Quarantine. And you go oh, into wow. this club, you, you do these poppers that cure STDs, which I have a fake um, commercial for. And, and it prevents uh, the transmission of all STDs and viruses when you're in this nightclub. And they're dispersed through the vents like they used to do in Studio 54 and gay clubs mm-hmm. in the 70s. And at the end of every episode, I list what the historical precedent is. So mm-hmm. it's educational. It's very sexy. There's a full-on fisting scene in the film you know, that, oh, wow. I, that I filmed at the Black Party because it imagines that Robert Maplethorpe was is the biggest Instagram star. He has 1 billion followers, <laughs> more than the Kardashians combined. And mm-hmm. uh, he's allowed to film these scenes in this place called the Mineshaft, which was an actual mm-hmm. real bar. Uh-huh. So that's, you know, that's where a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now comes from, was which research for a lot of that project, which took six years of my life. Let me ask you, uh, so I, I, a lot of the uh, strides that we've made, uh, the, the gay community, uh, you know, a lot of that was, I think, because of the activism and anger around the AIDS yeah. crisis. And uh, I think, not to simplify things, but before that happened, mm-hmm. the gay com- the gay community was like more like a not not a very serious. I'm generalizing again yeah, yeah. because because of course we were fighting things like Anita Bryant mm-hmm. and uh, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So th- there was not this kind of 
urgency and activism. And right. so uh, I, I, do you think that the gay community would have come as far as we are now had it not been for the AIDS crisis? Well, that's the, you know, that's the million dollar question. And so there's two mm-hmm. schools of thought and you can hold both of them in your head at the same time is what I learned from asking that to survivors. Cause it was really hard mm-hmm. to, you know, you're standing in front of a, of a person in an SRO in San Francisco who have lost mm-hmm. everything uh, dealing with addiction issues. And you have to say, Hey, what would the world be like for you if AIDS never existed? I asked that to also, you know, politicians like Tom Amiano, uh, club sure. promoters, and it always stumped everybody because yes, there is a school of thought that says we would have had, we wouldn't have had this um, level of community if it weren't for AIDS galvanizing us. We wouldn't have had a lot of mm-hmm. the uh, politics. Uh, we were very, very fragmented as a queer community mm-hmm. before AIDS. You know, lesbians right. and, and transgender mm-hmm. people were left out. But there's mm-hmm. also another school of thought that said we were building momentum and AIDS took so many people and took so right. many of our resources and also for so long psychologically proved something in our minds that said AIDS is a punishment for the, for the, the horrible person that you are. And so yeah. when you take away the shame and when you take away the, the lost resources, what do you end up with? And that's sort of what the big question of fathers is. I opted for a utopia where without AIDS, we, are, we have created something. But mm-hmm. in a lot of the film, that sort of tension is there. When I asked Tom Amiano, it was really interesting because he, he sort of went back and forth. And, and every, every person that I asked that question to, and I never get nervous when I'm filming, but it was the only times that I did get nervous because it's... It's almost like a violating question. You're asking people something so intense. Um, right. They always, you sort of watch that process in their head because you go back and forth and everybody goes back and forth about it. And I think that's an important conversation for us to have. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been HIV positive for such a long time. It's it's yeah. not it, it's not really my identity. It's just right. part, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, um, it's just part of who I am. But when I was younger and the constant threat of death was mm-hmm. hanging over me, I, I will say that it, it made me much more of uh, I wouldn't be the person I am today with, you know, had it not made me like I'm going to live for today yeah. and, and, and not go to college. I'm going to be in nightlife. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, all that stuff. A lot of people in your, in yeah. your I, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but I do. I do. Um, <laughs> but also, I mean, your humor like yeah, the yeah. level of the the quality of AIDS jokes in the tranny mm-hmm. shot stage in the early two thousands was <laughs> was born from that. I learned from I learned how to view that pandemic through you guys' eyes. Through oh, I I have a I have an incredibly uh, uh, dark sense of humor, yeah. gall- gallows humor, and it's how I it's how I deal with every issue yeah. and so I, I i get a lot of people who are well what i've what i've uh, unfortunately realized is we are now in an era uh of no no people do not get sarcasm people do not get irony and people do not get satire so uh, a lot of times i have to tell people like uh yeah, yeah i'm kidding i'm kidding it's also it's a pendulum <laughs> though it's 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 cyclical because you're also yeah. you have to remember that like there's no tone in a text right so you have to figure out how is it that you communicate with people and communicate humor and i always think about the south park episode from 23 years ago where they talk about how it takes 23 years for something to be funny or how it's cyclical like the political correctness you know i think mm-hmm. that, that writing team is incredible because they touched upon all of this, all of these things. But I think 
we're going to have a, we're going to have that pendulum sort of swing back. Right. And then, and then we'll get to that point where everything is fair game. But I think at this point you sort of have to wait. Like we were, people like me were educated by people like you. Like my humor is so educated from that tranny shack humor. Right. Right. Uh, And yeah, yeah, and it's fine. It's, it's fine. But I think, I think, and, and you know, I'm not saying that. That uh, I think because of the uh, social media, I think things get misconstrued yeah. so much. The tone of things, yeah. and I think, I think, I think that's very much, much how it is. And I've, I've had this discussion with many people of who course. make make their living in humor, yeah, um, or on stage. And you know, and I have I, to say, it's, it's fun. Well, not fun is not the right word, maybe, but it's interesting to watch you guys, like like people like you or Lady Bunny or Peaches or mm-hmm. Jackie B. It's interesting to watch you guys toe the line in this digital format now, and mm-hmm. it, it gets me frustrated when you get frustrated, but it also um, gets me really happy when you are able to school another generation, and then it, mm-hmm. I also feel like it's sort of a baton passing, right? So it... it you need an intermediary, intermediary like my generation to be like, no, little queens, that drag mm-hmm. queen can say that because blah, 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 right, history. Right, like right. there is a context to it. And what, what the online thing takes away is the context of it. So, Right. Some, I mean, sometimes I have to just tell some kid like, uh, look, <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it it is a serious time and I'm I'm saying, you know, and I have a lot of learning. I, I've been have a, having a lot of learning to do, too. Yeah, we all do. Um, so, uh, serious note, mm-hmm. still, we still have children in cages. Yeah. Um, so you uh, you have a number of uh, micro essays on the topics of sex and drugs and the virus, but also about black and brown queer history. Yeah. Movement, movement organizing and care efforts centered on the lived experiences of queer people of color. I mean, can you just believe the situation that we are in with children in cages? And, and the fact that, I mean, the fact that some people are just totally fine with it. So my, I, I, I mean, I know my father, so I'm Native American and mm-hmm. this, this is, this is so shocking to me. Yeah. My father experienced racism yeah. and stuff around being, and now, and he voted for Trump yeah. and I'm sure he's going to, I'm sure he's going to vote for Trump yeah. again. Yeah. So, so tell me, I mean, I grew black up, and brown organizing. I mean, I grew up undocumented in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. None of this is surprising. I always viewed Mm. it as a disease, the way that people view immigrants and the way that people view race, like, you know, the the racism. And a lot of Mm -hmm. these things that are happening now are things that were what people were pushing for 20, 30 years ago when I was a kid in Arizona. So Mm -hmm. it's not surprising. It's scary as fuck. And I will tell you that I have had to start contingency plans like my five-year plan has to include really leaving this country because i know what happened to my parents after i left arizona and in 2004 Mm -hmm. when they were pushing for really fucked up immigration policies in a state and in a city that was built and run by immigrants and had a huge native american population so i i mean i i cleaned karen's houses like that's what mm-hmm. I did. I had an intimate knowledge of how a lot of these people thought, you know, the, the way that they were able to separate having an undocumented immigrant cleaning their house and raising their children and yet still vote for something that could kill us is not. And also, yeah, yeah. and also separate, separate the fact that maybe you have a gay 
son or daughter. Absolutely. So there's the, the blinders are not surprising to me. The the mm-hmm. scope and the speed of it has been really jarring and and it's been a constant state of of grief and mourning hence the you know sobering up and self-caring and all the writing that i'm doing and where the rage Mm -hmm. has to be uh placed into because you know when i when i read about the ladies getting the hysterectomies on the border Mm -hmm. that that put me out i haven't you know i lost my grandmother in june through this pandemic and i Mm -hmm. haven't cried like that since then because you realize holy fuck not only do we have to grieve immensely because this is the tip of the iceberg, but you also have to be ready because, you know, once they start doing this, it gives them permission every time. They're always pushing whatever that white supremacist agenda, whatever that necropolitics of these things is, they're always going to push it. By the time you find out about what's happening, they're 10 steps ahead, you know. So I'm a naturalized citizen and it took 25 years to get to that point. When I saw the kids in cages two years ago, I started a savings account for an immigration lawyer because Mm. you never know how bad things are going to get. And now we're here. So I have to start another two year plan. And it's, it's exhausting to be. And so when I write about, um, you know, a lot of my white friends have, they struggle with seeing me this angry or seeing me this, you know, focusing on some of this stuff, but it does create a separate America for you. And if are, you know yeah. I mean? are, are, are they not angry? It's hard to be angry about something that's not directly happening to you in the same way. So, you okay. know, you, of course yeah. you're angry, but that anger isn't going to be infused with the level of fear that has to propel you to be like, holy shit, like really what, what is it? You know, I'm a naturalized citizen, but they're already quote unquote looking into what they can do to strip a naturalized citizen. What that tells me is four more years of this. That's a huge possibility. Right. And, and, you know, like that you, you brought up a good point because when I was young and, and all my friends were dying of AIDS, I had HIV. I was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and nobody gave a shit. Yeah. And, and, and I was marching in Washington yeah. and I was, I was like, why don't you care? Why don't, you know, like, like, right. You know, every, everyday people, they weren't talking about AIDS. Vito Russo they, has that they, thing where he's, they weren't, yeah, yeah. where he, he's they, like, I'm in a silent war and there's explosions everywhere near me, but nobody can see them. So when when this when the Black Lives Matter uh, and the riots exploded a few months ago, mm-hmm. I was angry, mm-hmm. but but it wasn't my every fiber of my being yeah. because because I had empathy, yeah. but it, but it wasn't me, right? And and, and so um, and and I actually had a couple of friends uh, reach out to me like. Why aren't you posting yeah, about it? Why yeah. aren't you doing this? And I, because I felt helpless, and I also felt, and, and this might be like why why some of your white friends are not talking about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I also felt helpless. Yeah. Like, and 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 what what can I say? What can I do besides voting? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But so and, and so like when I was young, I was like, why aren't you angry? And so. Yeah. I feel like now all the young kids are like, why aren't you angry? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, so it, it, it is, it's very much the same. Like if you're, if you're white and, you know, and you, you have a working critique on, um, on the privilege yeah. that, that, that it takes to go around 
partying when it's all primarily black and brown lives dying from COVID-19. Of course. And we're seeing that so much. I mean, part of the, I've been really sick of San Francisco lately because Mm -hmm. we tend to think we're in this little progressive bubble, but I'm walking around and I'm like, you know, what's funny is that the only people that got sick were people in the mission delivering y'all's food, serving y'all's food, making y'all's food, cleaning y'all's houses, all that stuff. So I, yes, I get to see some of my white friends run and march and stuff, but when it comes down to them losing their creature comforts, it's a whole mm-hmm. nother conversation, right? So, right. Be, but we don't, this is what happens when we have leadership, which values and thrives on us being completely splintered. So right. we don't have what we should have at this point, which is a coalition of black, brown, immigrant people, Native American people, uh, gay people with a really solid plan to figure a lot of this stuff out. We're building that and that's happening and it's happening very gradually because we are united in anger against this president and stuff. But you know, what was surprising to me, it wasn't that my white friends weren't talking about this stuff or posting about it. It was that they didn't see the correlation between their everyday actions and how those really small actions, especially in the beginning of the COVID pandemic, was threatening the actual lives of black and brown people. Like they didn't see that. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, on a on a very simplistic level, mm-hmm. uh, the problem with the problem with the left, and I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making air quotes. Yeah. I'm making air quotes yeah, yeah. right now. <laughs> I can see that. Um, the, the problem with the left is that we 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 do splinter too much, yeah. and we end up. Uh, you know, a long time ago, I wanted to uh, work on a phone line for. Uh, for trans people mm-hmm. who felt suicidal. I met with a trans woman. Mm-hmm. I was talking about it. And she said, frankly, I, I don't see this happening because we, we fight with each other too much. Like yeah. we, people tend to lash out laterally at the thing that's yeah. right next to them yeah. rather than, rather than looking at the big picture where I feel like the, the right and the white supremacists, they are able to look at the big picture and organize in ways that we aren't. I mean, yeah. Because because we're always trying to say mm-hmm. you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. So, I, I mean, that the frustrating thing to me is that I feel like sometimes, and there was a uh, they, they said the right governs without shaming, yeah. and the left shames without governing. Exactly. Um, so I think we have to get past the point of attacking each other. I think we've for, got, I think we've gotten over that a little bit. I mean, we hit a fever pitch with that when we were trying to explain to people why Tranny Shack was named what it was, right? Like right. that was such a huge inner community fight, I remember. And yeah. I think at this point we're sort of we've gone over that hump because now we're sort of looking around being like, you know, they don't give a fuck if you're trans or if you're gay. They don't know the difference. So they're going to come down and and knock down your door at some point, not, you know? And so I think we've, we're sort of past that a little bit. I think there's also, you know, I had to listen to a lot of my trans friends and I realized Mm -hmm. that I hadn't been doing that a lot and I had to be educated. And a lot of times I had to be educated the hard way, you know, like, like where, you know, it's, Imagine having Justin Bond in your uh, kitchen and you're drunk in New Orleans and it's Mardi Gras and, and you're talking about these issues and she, and she turns around and goes, because you thought you had this right idea when you needed to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And you have to listen to that and be like, okay, well, can you explain to me why I needed to shut the fuck up that moment? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden 
you're realizing that you were looking at this tiny, tiny part of this argument that you had maybe with a trans person at a bar or something. And, right. and here comes a trans person to be like, no stupid, because there's this whole other enormous thing that it didn't occur to you because you're not trans. And all of a sudden you're like, so humbled by that. Sure. I mean, and there's, that there's takes the, time. Yeah. There's, there's huge things like I, I, I can't, it's the same thing with talking to somebody who is, who is black or yeah. Latin or so whatever you have to listen. And I, and I think a lot of people are just so defensive. Like I'm not racist. Yeah. You know? And so that, that's when you get to that point and you're just like, and I mean, I'm experiencing that with people that I know and that I love and that I, that I respect mm-hmm. and that I know that they love and respect me. But when somebody says like, well, why did you think that was racist? And you're just like, the fact that you even had to ask just sets this, situation with us so far behind but everybody has to put in the time and not a lot of us want to or or want to listen but when we do we sort of create better gays and and better better community members so it it does pay off and again i it wasn't those conversations were not easy for me and i cringe now sometimes when i think like oh my god i can't believe that that's how i was operating when i said that and you sort of have to forgive yourself first as well. But I, I actually will ask out loud sometimes: mm-hmm. Is this race? Is this racist? Yeah. Because I think that's also an important thing to stop. Mm-hmm. To stop. I think that's it's it's a progress in a way to go like, wait a minute, is what I said? Yeah. Racist. The, the thing that I just said. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think there's also a a learning possibility there too. I mean, if people a, are willing for to sure. listen. And also, it's again, it's context. So, like you and I mm-hmm. came to our sense of humor during a time where shock culture was huge. So it was like if you offend everybody and it becomes democratic, then you can right. sort of go. But again, people can abuse that. It, it takes. I, I mean, you have great comedic timing. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. I still remember, and I'm not going to say them here. But I still remember some of the funniest shit I ever heard on stage from you. And it was about delivery. It was about timing. It was about, you know, testing that audience. And it was about the audience feeling like, okay, so if this is a democratic moment and nothing's safe, it almost makes you feel more together, which is why you have to be careful with something like digitizing the tranny shack tapes, because there were moments in time where we were grieving (laughs) as if, you know, where it was like, where there were Mm -hmm. jokes that were made for that moment, for that audience, for that time being. Mm-hmm. And that th- there's why I am so interested in history and our culture, because once you get that, you're like, oh, that's why that was hilarious and important at the time. Yeah, the, the, these, this is all very, very important stuff. I mean, and there's no easy answer to any of this. But the thing is, right now, we're at a very pivotal moment in yeah. time. Yeah. And, um, and I think what it boils down to is are you doing the right thing? And are you, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't even want to talk to mm-hmm. certain members of my family because I frankly, I can't believe it. I'm like, where's, where's the empathy? Where's yeah. the, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I just, I, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today on. Thank you for having drag me. Time with, drag Time with Eklina. We didn't talk a lot about drag, <laughs> but we did talk about, we, we, we talked a lot about, um, <laughs> about really important issues. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Like what what are you doing these days? Um I am besides- we are launching the Father's Archive which is uh all of the, you know, I filmed for 3 years uh for this project and filmed dozens and dozens of act of gatherings and spaces that are no longer going to be happening. 
And so I yeah. want to make this footage available for other filmmakers, other documentarians who may want mm-hmm. to talk about other issues. And we were going to be launching that this winter. Um, and everybody can keep up with everything that I've talked about uh, on my website, if they live.org and mm-hmm. on my Instagram Herrera images. And, you know, I think we're getting to a point, all of us that we have to be ready for some really dark government things that we have had to deal with before. So I am hoping that by honoring our history finding out the context of where everybody's speaking from, I think we're going to create a unified front that regardless of what happens in this election, we're going to keep as much of our history and our culture intact, despite the pandemic and despite the oncoming fascism. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yes, it is, let's be clear, it is a fascism. Um, and, uh, And the land of the free has never really meant anything no we're we're starting to find out so anyway thank you leo herrera uh, like leo said you can find him on instagram at, at at herrera images um and yes go to the website if they live.org to find out more about his work with the father's project you can find me on facebook and instagram at Hecklina. please be sure to subscribe to the show like us rate us and please tell anybody you can about drag time with Hecklina. thanks once again to leo herrera um and thank you mark 